You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here's today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. I'm going to show you a video clip to introduce the message. If only I could go back and change some things, set things straight. I wish I had a do-over. I've made choices. I've lost out. I've wished a thousand times I could go back and try again. It's hard not to imagine what might have been. If I had just stopped to think. If I had just done as I was told. If I hadn't thought I knew it all. Why didn't I just take a few deep breaths? Took one second to listen. Maybe my life would be better. Maybe there wouldn't be such a high price to pay. Things would be different now. I wouldn't have so many regrets. But is everything lost? Can I just get a do-over? Is there a way back to new beginnings? Because regret can mean a new beginning. When it's given to the one who produces a repentance. A repentance that delivers me from my grief. The one who takes my mistakes. And somehow redeems me through them. Who tells me I'm not the sum total of all my regrets? He tells me not to look back. Because there's nothing there to see. I am not my mistakes. He is faithful and just to forgive me. I just have to ask him. And then I can look straight forward. Forget what is behind me. And strain towards what is ahead. And walk away with all regrets erased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every day I'm given a clean slate. A clean slate. I get a clean slate. All right, it is awesome that we can have a fresh start in Christ, a a clean slate that we can ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins and to uh, forgive us of those things that we've done, those things that we might be ashamed of, embarrassed of, those self-destructive things, those things that just didn't work out for us. But um, it is the new year, the new calendar, and maybe that means a lot to you. Maybe you like see the new year and you like change everything. You're like, okay, I went a lap around the track of 2018, I'm about to start the lap around 2019, and so this is what worked for me and this is what didn't. And I look back on Maybe you look back to on the things that you measured of what you did that was good. Maybe you did the Bible in a year plan and maybe you made it halfway through or two-thirds of the way through. Or maybe you just crushed it and you said, I'm going to read the Bible through once and you read it through twice. And that was great. And uh, it was all good. And you make, make plans for your future year. You make plans for the things that you want to do that are successful and then you want to change some things so that you can be more successful. We are all running out of time. I mean, we only live to be so long. Even if uh, medicine and doctors, you know, can prolong our lives, even if we live to be 100 or 120, we're eventually going to run out of time, run out of energy, run out of excitement, and we need to do all that we can to make choices wisely. The times that we have now are important. And to be thinking about following Jesus in the new year, following Him boldly in the new year is huge. So I came to uh, the new year, and I wanted to try a different sermon series every month. 
and January came, and I knew I wanted to do something about following, but I couldn't, I couldn't like figure out what to call it, you know? So I came up with these messages, and they're in your bulletin, but this week I've got following Jesus boldly into the new year, empowered by the living and active Word of God on the 13th, uh, equipped to share the life-changing gospel on the 20th, and the incredible value of the local church for titles. And actually the theme in my head is that we need to watch our life and doctrine carefully, and if we do, we will help people come to Christ. So in my head, the whole thought is that we need to talk, uh, preach about doctrine. So we've got the doctrine of the Word of God, uh, sharing Christ, the doctrine of the gospel, and the doctrine of the church, uh, all of those things tied together. And I was looking at it and going, what, what do you call that? How is that a series? And I looked at the, the, the first letters, and it spelled feet. And I'm like, that works. So we've got running boldly into the new year, and I found a picture of a guy running on a beach, which may have inspired a couple in this church to take a vacation to Florida to run on the beach. I'm not really sure if they thought that before or after I put the picture on there, I don't know. But making plans and following Jesus is huge. Knowing what you believe is huge. Being able to teach what you believe to others is huge. So you look at your life and you think about what did I do that was good? What did I do that was a total waste of time? What did I do that's really going to matter for eternity? Because I might have done a lot of things that it was good, but it wasn't that good. I mean, you may have had the perfect lawn this summer. You kept every leaf off it, every weed off it. You cleaned up after your dog every day. You had perfect grass. You might even have pictures to prove it. But in eternity, is that really going to matter? Is that really going to make a difference? Now, maybe you had your prayer time while you're cleaning up after your dog, which can be therapeutic. can happen. I know from experience it can be a very peaceful time as you clean up after your dogs. But in eternity, it doesn't matter. Maybe you tried to pursue Christ and it was disappointing or it wasn't as exciting and uh, you didn't follow the Lord like you should have. Or you came up with plans and you're like, Lord, bless me. Lord, here's what what we're going to do. I'm going to drive the car. You sit in the passenger seat. You tell me I'm doing good. Bless me all the way and it'll be great. And sometimes when you're in the driver's seat, you are not as successful as you could be. And we make resolutions. How many of you made re- a New Year's resolution? Did you make any re- New Year's resolutions? I, I pondered a New Year's resolution on what to eat, but then I got really tripped up on, do you do, you do the resolution? Do you start the resolution on the, at midnight on the, on the 31st? Is that when you start eating perfectly? Or do you do it on the 1st? Because that's weird because everybody's celebrating New Year's and you don't want to miss out on that. So I'm still thinking about it. I'm pretty sure I should eat better, but I just didn't want to be real legalistic about it, you know, so I'm still thinking about it. Did you know that apps track how we fail to keep New Year's resolutions? Based on data from the online grocer Fresh Direct, many customers fail to keep their New Year's resolutions. The retailer recently reported that customers' liquor and wine consumption picked up by about 40% in the first two weeks of February, while juice cleanse sales dropped by 25%. Shoppers also bought 15% more ice cream and desserts and 35% more pizza in early February than during their first two weeks in January. A study by Foursquare and Swarm shows that February 4th, 37 days after New Year's, is the day people are most likely to fall off the wagon. The apps analyzed users' check-ins and found that date marks an uptick in visits to fast food joints and a downturn in trips to the gym. So, apps, they know what you do. Sometimes they make mistakes, though. 
because I'm pretty sure I went to that fitness center every day or every, every month for over 12 times, and it tells me in December that I only went 11 times. But I have 13 on my list, so I don't really know. That would just crush my consistency, my record. But you know, failure is a huge part of life. I mean, who wants to think about failure, right? I'm going to tell you some statistics about failure, how it's more common than success from the book Break Open the Sky by Stephen Berman, which might make you feel better about the fact that you failed or make you feel worse about trying something new. But 75% of venture capital-backed startups fail, and 95% do not meet initial expectations. 40% of CEOs do not last 18 months. 70 to 90% of mergers and acquisitions fail to add shareholder value. 81% of new hires don't work out. 99% of new patents, they never earn a penny. 95% of new products introduced in a given year fail. 68% of information technology products fail to meet their goals. 88% of New Year's resolutions end in failure. And 100% of all human bodies fail. So why should we go on? And, And what should we pursue then? And I think that if you pursue Christ, that you will be much more likely to be successful in life. Much more likely to experience lasting change, to experience eternal value, to experience looking back on your life and saying, that was a life that mattered. That was a life that counted. That is a life that I was glad to live. And like in the video, you might have made a lot of mistakes. You might make mistakes all the time. But like Dan said last week, when you fall, you got to get back up. Get back up quickly. Following Jesus boldly into the new year. Will you have a successful new year? I think you will if you follow Christ. Following Jesus may be the most successful thing that you do. You get the, when you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you get the Holy Spirit to help you live the Christian life. You get biblical wisdom straight from God to help you to live that life. You get empowered to do important things. You get uh, divine appointments. You get all of these great things that you probably don't get in the workplace, probably don't get as you are out there you know, thinking about, oh, what can I do to make life really worth worthwhile. I mean, sometimes God puts things on your heart and you pursue education or you pursue uh, fitness levels or you pursue reading, attaining knowledge or whatever. But sometimes we like mess up and then we want to fix everything right away. I really like Dave Ramsey and you can take his budgeting course online. You know, if we got enough of you together, we could take it together as a class. It's 13 weeks, but that would mean that we'd have to all get together at the same time for 13 weeks and knowing your schedules, I don't know if that's really going to happen. That's a possibility. Otherwise, you can take his complete money makeover thing or whatever it's called online and get the same kind of training and it's great. But I listened to his radio program and I listened to these people and it's like, man, they're living the dream. I was $60,000 in debt and in four months, it's all paid off. Cool. Oh, you sold your second house. You sold your RV and your boat and your hot rod cool, good for you. I don't have any of that stuff. If it took you like 15 years to get into debt, it's probably going to take you, you know, five, 10 years to get out of debt. You can't hurry that. If over the years you put on weight and you're not as strong as you used to be, you're not going to be able to go to the fitness center and get a quick fix. Matter of fact, if you were to lose like 20 pounds in two weeks, you might end up in the hospital. I mean, uh, you might end up with gallstones or all sorts of problems. You know, it's just not a healthy thing to do. You want to be careful about that. If you think that you can go from 
casual Christian to super spiritual overnight, that's probably not going to happen either. What it is, it's a constant series of choices following Christ, choosing to do His will, His way, every day, showing up and doing the important things that make the difference in your life. Sometimes people are like, I just don't know what to do with my life. I'm feeling spiritually dry or uh, all these things. And it's like, if you would do the basic things first, you'd probably be in a much better place. If you do what you know you should do every day, avoid sin, spend time in God's Word, pray about others' needs, your needs, thank God for what He's doing in your life, do the basic things that you need to do every day, and then keep growing in Him, you will find that as time goes on, that you're in a much better place, that God is able to use you, that you're able to be much more successful in the things that you do. Many of the things that we choose to do on our own, we might be successful at, but they might not be the thing that we're supposed to be doing. Somebody uh, successful said the worst thing that you can do is climb the ladder of success, get to the top, and then realize the ladder is leaning on the wrong building. Pursue Christ, and that might bring you riches and fame, or it may not. It doesn't matter, but what you get is Jesus' approval, and hopefully people uh, will say, you know, you made an eternal difference in my life, and that would be huge. Following Jesus may be the most successful thing you do. Pray about what you should do in the new year. Pray about the things that are important. Pray about how you should use your time, and then make a commitment to make those changes. Try new things. Know that when you try new things, it's highly possible that you might fail, but then you'll learn from it, and you'll keep going. John Maxwell has a great book called Failing Forward. Uh, as pastors, we like to give those books to other pastors that have failed. Here, pastors are always given books, right? You got a kidney stone, and we give you Max Lucado's. He still moves stones. I'm praying for you. Failing, we'll give you, give you John Maxwell's book. Failing Forward. Read the book, and we'll fix everything. Uh, makes us feel better. We gave a book, but all right. So Jesus is calling his disciples to follow him. Now. Backstory on this is that Jesus is beginning his public ministry. He's going around and he's calling what will be 12 disciples and 11 will be great and one will betray him. Uh, But he's going and calling these uh, people, these guys to be his disciples. And most likely they have crossed paths before. Most likely they know of him and most likely they know he's a rabbi and they want to follow after him. I guess from what I read in that day that they would raise the little Hebrew children up Uh, and they would have opportunities to learn and memorize Scripture. I guess the kids memorized the entire passage of Psalm 119. But anyway, they would learn, and as you got up to, I don't know, first, second, third grade or whatever, they would start to see, you know, if you really had what it took to remember God's Word and to to become a a rabbi. And so if not, they'd kind of weed you out and then, you know, say, well, you're going to have to learn to trade. You know, we don't think you have what it takes. And then as you grew older and older, they would keep thinning the herd until there were a few kids left, and then the rabbis would come along and say, I pick you to be my follower. So Jesus is going around picking disciples, uh, picking followers. So I would guess that they would be really excited to be chosen by Jesus. But Jesus is choosing some really unlikely people. Mark 1.16, one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. So these guys must have been rejected. I mean, they're not following some rabbi, so they must have been seen as not good enough. You know, it's like, well, you're never going to be a rabbi, so why don't you go learn the fishing trade? Fishing trade was dirty. Fishing trade was constant work. You were constantly 
going out and fishing with your net. I'm not sure what the net size was. Maybe like a 10 by 20 net. And then pulling in those fish would be hard on the net, so you'd be out there mending the nets when you weren't fishing. It was boat, nets, fish. Boat, net, fish. And that's what you did for a living. It's what your identity was. It's how you made the money to survive. Hopefully you were a good fisherman while you were out there. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat, repairing their nets, and he called them at once. And they also followed him, leaving their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men. What did Zebedee think about this, by the way? So Zebedee and sons fishing business or whatever, and the sons just went to follow Jesus. Was he excited about that? I think he probably was, or at least he he was after he figured out what was going on. Sometimes when we have kids and we think about, you know, we want God to use them, we want God to use them to do great things. Wait, God, you want to take my kid to be a missionary in some third world dangerous country? Oh, wait a second. I don't think that's a good idea, God. I I think you should do that with someone else's kid. I, I want my kid here with me. So they left Zebedee. But Jesus called these unlikely characters to follow after him and to say, I will make you fishers of men. I'll teach you how to fish for people. So what does that mean exactly? That means that Jesus is going to teach his disciples how to bring people that are lost into a right relationship with Christ, to train them up so that they can share Jesus with others, so they too can be saved, to raise up more teachers, more pastors, more missionaries, more people to share Christ, to fulfill Jesus' purpose in their life, to fish for people. And evangelism is fishing for people. When we encourage, as we help people learn, as we show them love and teach them to love, it's all an act of worship. And that is all a way that we fish for people. As I was thinking about it, sometimes when I get to preach on a passage, I'm really excited to say something that I wanted to say. You know, it was on my heart and I just want to say it. But this this week I found things that other people said and it was so awesome. I'm like, I wish I would have thought of that. I wish I would have said that. But hey, I'll just share it with you because it was really awesome. All right. Joseph Stoll. Uh, I think he's still the president of Cornerstone University, who used to be the president of Moody Bible Institute. And he actually wrote a book called Following Christ, and he talks about fully following Jesus. And he talks about how Mark is, you know, just sharing bluntly about the diversity of the disciples. He says, They traveled together for three years in an unusual sense of unity because they they were followers of Christ. He says, How would you like to be involved in an intensely intimate group dynamic? 24 hours a day for three years with Peter. He always has his mouth in gear. He was committed and he was radical. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter cut off the guard's ear. The Lord had to put the ear back on. This was a guy who wouldn't be a healthy influence in a group dynamic. Then there was Andrew. You don't hear much about Andrew in the New Testament. He seemed to be such a quiet person. You know anybody who's quiet? You want to press a button. Hey, are you alive? Say something. Then it dawned on me. Do you remember who Andrew's brother was? Peter. You'd be quiet too if Peter was your brother. The kid never had to say a thing. Peter had always talked for him. There was John, who was mellow and warm. The Gospel of John is one of love. At the Last Supper, he was the one who reclined on the bosom of the Savior. Yes, his nickname is Son of Thunder, Bilatil. At one point in the New Testament, he said to the Lord, Call down lightning and destroy your enemies. Have you ever been around unpredictable people? 
when you finally know how to react to them, they bolt to the other side of the schedule. You want to say, would you get your act together? Christ called several others to be core followers of him. Thomas, the skeptic, the negative guy. You want to have a great party some night? Invite every skeptic you know. The most dramatic in the diversity is Matthew, the tax collector. Tax collectors were the worst kind of Jews because they worked for the occupying force of Rome, collecting the exorbitant tax of the Roman Empire. Rome allowed them to attach extra assessments and pocket them, and they did that. Tax collectors were sold out to Rome at the jeopardy of the fellow Jews, and that was Matthew. Then there was Simon the Zealot, who was a member of the resistance force, the underground, plotting to overthrow the Roman occupation. Now put Simon the Zealot and Matthew in the same crowd. Intense. But watch these twelve walk together with their eyes fixed on one Christ. Jesus has a way of lifting us above our petty politics, preferences, our cultures, and temperaments. The body of Christ has a lot of diversity. We have diversity of temperaments, class, race, and spiritual gifts. And he has more to say about that. You can read that in the book. But I thought that was awesome. But we need to follow after Christ. Fully following Jesus. Fully following Jesus together. That means that we might not always get along in every way. Sometimes missionaries go to like third world countries and they can't get along with each other because they're all like pioneers doing their own thing. But we're all different. There might be things about us that we like, some things that we don't like, some things that are annoying, but we're all following Jesus for the cause of Christ. Then I wanted to share that we shouldn't let our stuff get in the way of following Jesus. Some of us don't want to follow Jesus because it's not a good time. We've got to raise our kids or build our house or build our business or restore our car or whatever it is that we're doing. It's like, Jesus, hey, you know what? I'm kind of busy right now. If you could catch me next year, that would work out good for me. But there was this guy, the rich young ruler, and you know the story, Mark 10, 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. and I've got a chart to prove it, he probably said. He was pretty prideful, this guy was, I think. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told them. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away very sad for he had many possessions. So Jesus loved this guy and he wasn't saying you can't be on my team, but he was saying the thing that keeps you from being usable to me is that you are self-supporting. You got all this stuff. You're tied up in your possessions. You're pretty prideful and you're not humble. I can't use you in that way. So sell all your stuff give it to the poor, Uh, when it's just you and you've got nobody to rely upon but me, when it's just you and you've got nothing uh, on the side to distract you, then come follow me. Then you can be on my team. And Jesus isn't calling all of us to sell all of our stuff and to get rid of everything. That's not the thing. But if we love our possessions, if we love our stuff, if we love our career or our position or whatever it is more than Jesus, then it's pretty hard to follow him. And we need to think about that. What is it that's standing in the way of you following Jesus? What is it in your life that if Jesus were to come along right now, if he were to like show up at your cubicle or your workstation or uh, in your, if you're a trucker, in your truck or or whatever, if Jesus were to show up and say, hey, follow me, what, what would hold you back? Well, I can't because I'm holding on to this. I'm holding on to that. Follow Jesus. And sometimes if you don't know what that means, that means that, you've, that you obey his teachings. You pursue a relationship with him. 
you're asking Him to help you to serve and to be successful in accomplishing His purposes, and you move forward in that relationship, and you are on Jesus' team, you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus is your boss, basically, and you want to please Him in every way. Think about how would your life be different this year if you totally, fully followed Christ? If you gave up some of the stuff that gets in your way, if you gave up some, I'm not going to meddle and tell you what all those things could be, but the things that hold you back from following Christ, if you gave that up, what would your life be like? What would, when you come to 2020, which is weird to say, when you come to January 1st, 2020, would you have perfect vision? No, would you be able to say, that was a life well lived. I tried to follow Christ, and this is how I'm going to do it better in the next year. It's communion time, and I'll ask the guys to come forward for communion in Luke 22, Jesus uh, gets his disciples together for the Last Supper. And he says, I eagerly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus wants to have relationships with people. Jesus wants to know you personally. Jesus wants you to know him personally. It's not a religion where we reach up to God and hope that he gives us good stuff or whatever, but it's walking hand in hand with a living Savior, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ available for the asking by admitting that we're sinners, by admitting that we've sinned and that we know Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again and he is available to us through asking. We pray something like, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life and save me. Make me the person you created me to be. I want to follow you. That is a good way to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Luke twenty two thirteen, Jesus is getting ready for the Last Supper. He's about to be crucified. He knows as he gathers his disciples. He has everything prepared as they go. He sent them on a, on a mission to get the stuff and everything. If you read the passage, everything that they needed was there, like Jesus said. It says here in Luke twenty two thirteen, they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and he told his disciples, he told his followers that we're supposed to remember him. They're doing this communion thing and churches all around the world do this. Some do it every Sunday, some do it the first Sundays of the month. And this is a great time for us to remember what Christ has done, to confess any known sin that's gotten in the way of following Jesus, maybe to recommit our lives to him. So as the music plays, hold the communion wafer in your hand. I'll come back up. We'll take it together, but the music will play and they'll pass. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we were able to have the breath of life today, that we had the ability to get here today, that we have the ability to serve you today, that we still have freedom to proclaim you publicly, that we still have freedom to read your word and to live for you, Lord. We don't know if we'll always have that, but we pray that we would hide your word in our hearts, that we would desire to follow you, that we would learn totally what that means and that we would do what we know that we need to do and do those things that you've called us to do. And then thank you for the success that you've given us. Jesus, we thank you you died on the cross, that you rose again, that you gave your body for our sins. We take this and we eat. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So Jesus' blood was the ultimate sacrifice that covers our sins, and there is power in his blood. And we accept that, and we thank the Lord. So this is a good time for you to thank the Lord for what he's doing in your life, to thank the Lord 
for the opportunities that He gives you to thank you, to thank Him for the things that uh, are coming in the future that you don't know how you're going to handle, but you have the confidence that as you walk with the Lord, that He will get you through. It's all things that we can praise Him and thank you. And this is maybe a great time to dedicate uh, your 2019 to the Lord. And um, I'll come back up in a minute. Years ago when I had a normal job, I uh, would have opportunities during review time to tell them what I would do for the company. It had come to the point, instead of them telling me what I needed to do differently, that I would walk into the supervisor manager's office and he'd say, hey, it's time for your review. Tell us what you're going to do for the company in the coming year. And I would write this stuff up and he'd look at it and go, that's pretty amazing. Here's your raise. Go get them. And that's the way it was for my last few years when I worked at uh, that company. The same thing is true here. We want to please our boss. We want to please the Lord Jesus, our Savior, our Master. He died on the cross for us. He bought us with a price. Therefore, we're supposed to honor God with our bodies and our lives. And maybe it'd be a good thing to write down the things that God has put on your heart that you plan to do in the coming year that you're not going to necessarily do for Him, but do through Him. And you're going to write that down and say, this is some of the things that I want to accomplish that you laid on my heart for this year, for 2019, to write it down and to look at those goals and to pray about it and to try to make those things happen. I guarantee you, your life will be so much more satisfying than always running around feeling guilty because you never feel like you do enough. Jesus, we thank you so much that you do give us the opportunity to live our lives and you do give us the freedom to choose how we're going to use our time And many things you give us the opportunity to choose. Some of the circumstances we can't change, like our age or sometimes where where we live, where we work, that might not change. But we pray that you'd help us to be more successful serving you than any year before. And we take this, we drink this, and we praise you. Amen. So the worship team is going to come forward and sing, Victory in Jesus. Thanks for listening. It would be great if you would let us know how you were encouraged by this message. We invite you to visit River Rock Church, 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find more messages to listen to, and get resources to help you grow in your faith at riverrockchurch.com.